Do you want to talk about how you're feeling right now? Oh, so many questions. What does this mean? What do I do? <laughs> Go on! Tell them what you think! I liked it. I think your calculations may have been off. I think it's all right. I just have a lot of feelings. This pleases me. These are perfectly normal feelings. Do you even know what you sound like when you talk like that? Now, shall we begin? No, no, no. It's got to be south of Catch Me If You Can. Probably this section here, 31st, 39th, Ocean's 11th, and Halstead. That's this section here. Now let's break into two sections along 35th. What is this? I got work to do. Sit down and shut up, will you? Try not to live up to all my expectations. Take two matchstick men with you. Work your way south from 31st and 35th, Morgan and Halstead. Go into every place and let me know what episodes you find. We've been told you know a cherry picker named Host Nathan. You know him or don't you? Yeah, but I don't know where he is. Well, we do. He's chumming around with a big podcaster named Candy Corn Drew. <laughs> Ring any bells? Sure. Every podcaster man in the county knows Candy Corn. Well, there's word him and his partner are going to run another movie genre con for Real Seals, Real Feels Season 5. We've got a year-old Florida warrant for some genre violations, trying to pass off the Frighteners as funny, claiming Lords of Dogtown as a surfing movie, <laughs> and most egregiously conning innocent listeners into thinking Maverick is a good period piece and not the back alley handjob we all know it to be. They can beat it in court unless we catch them cold. All we want you to do is pick up host Nathan for us. Why don't you pick him up yourself? Because if word gets out that people actually listen to this podcast, Candy Corn will fold up the whole thing. He'll want to do two episodes a week, many episodes daily, and by then there won't be any stopping him. Wouldn't that be too bad? Then you'd have to move out of this nice episode you got here. Don't crack rise with me, rat race. I spent too much time in dumps like this listening to Candy Cord's fun movie reviews while you guys in the fun co-squads get fat off of drinking his shower water. That's not going to happen this time. We're not going to let him cut any fun movies into the deck. We're going to give him a real period piece. Winner of seven Academy Awards. And on top of that, a dead ringer of what a genre choice should be. You keep your mouth shut and do a job and there'll be some Bahama Mamas in it for you. And you better take them because I can make you work for us without them. What the hell good is a host Nathan to you? He's going to set up candy corn for us. He'll never do it. Oh, I think he will. <laughs> oh my god. I feel seen. <laughs> I feel insulted on so many levels. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Fails Podcast, where we bring you a different movie of a different genre. 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 Uh, fortnightly. 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 Tonight for my con artist genre pick is 1973's critically acclaimed The Sting. Ooh. Are we going to get some uh, some free holies? Dated free holies. Well, we we can definitely get some free holies in a world where there's cons. <laughs> but these free holies are going to be a blue plate special. Ooh, I like Ooh. it. Very nice. That'll be a nickel. Should have chose the meatloaf. It all tastes the same. <laughs> she picked him clean. He never missed him. Remember that sting experience? How good you felt? Now, the sting. 
winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, is back. Chicago was the place to be in 1936. In those days, the big con was a dying art, until a first-class grifter on the lam from the FBI and a young gaffer from Joliet joined forces to con the Big Mick. He's not as tough as he thinks. Neither are we. Paul Newman is Henry Gondorf. There wasn't a con he couldn't run. And there wasn't a sucker he couldn't gaff. Robert Redford is Johnny Hooker, a young grifter with plenty of moxie. Three grand on the red, Jimmy. But he's a sucker for Lady Luck. Tough luck, kid. And a sap for Lady Love. Thanks for the big evening, Hooker. Next time you want to spend 50 bucks on me, mail it. Robert Shaw is the mark. In the underworld, he's the big mick. Name's Lonergan. Dial Lonergan. It starts with the setup. You owe me 15 grand, pal. <laughs> then you bait the hook. Your boss is quite a card player, Mr. Kelly. How does he do it? He cheats. You play him on the wire. The wire's been out of date for 10 years. That's why he won't know it. Now he's ready for the sting. He's there. Let's get on it. Don't go back to your place tonight. $500,000 to win. Lucky Dan. Paul Newman and Robert Redford. This time, they might get away with it. So this was a movie that my grandparents had recorded off of HBO at some point during the 80s, and it was one of my grandfather's favorite movies. I grew up seeing it many times. Have either of you seen this before? Drew, I know you mentioned this was a first this watch a for first you, This was a first-time watch for me. This is would be maybe like my 15th, maybe like... 20th watch oh I, I say you, I, you are you are you are skilled in well, the arts of con artistry and well, mistake I mean, and warfare you know that actually doesn't surprise me because we all know nathan does like his heist movies his his puzzle uh films so you know what that is not a shocker to me i also just really i was given a lot of these types of movies like a lot of doris day films john wayne that kind of weird hodgepodge mix of really big actors doing really big pieces and the sting was one of those that i was like man this has got it all it's got action it's got murder it's got you know slide of hand and to really truly enjoy it i don't think i really started getting some of the beauty of it until later on when i started watching it uh, with just a different set of um it's truly a, an amazing film and it it comes from that era of filmmaking where you know prior to the rating system where this is a a you know a big budget blockbuster movie and this actually comes from a very interesting time in mm -hmm. filmmaking because 1972 you had paramount put out the godfather uh, they spent all this money and put out that, which is arguably one of the best films of all time. Sure. So Universal comes back a year later, 1973, and they're like, well, hey, we can do period pieces. They do The Sting. 
And then the rebuttal the year after, 1974, was Paramount's China, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. So he comes from this great era of filmmaking. Not only is it a good period piece, but there's not a lot in it that would separate the ages of the audience. You know, yeah, maybe you're not going to show it to kids because they're probably not going to follow it, but there's no profanity. The violence is very muted. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, you know, except for the intro uh, con that they do where there's a little pasty side boob action, mm. uh, there's not a whole lot to raise eyebrows with this movie. It's just, I think, a well-done film from start to finish using some of the best actors of its time. Drew, now, you were a uh, a neophyte to this movie. Tell us about your your sort of your take on it. So I really enjoyed this i mean the casting is great it's amazing so george hill the director i i had to look up some of his work and seeing the fact that we are getting butch cassidy the Sundance pairing of, uh robert redford and paul newman again from butch cassidy and the sundance kid which i am familiar with and you you do have the same kind of like ebb and flow between their two characters however with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you have a bit more comedy in that movie than this one, which in turn, I think that the movie would have done just slightly better in certain moments where it was slow. And the comedy, while it was there, most of the time, very subdued. Right. Like, right. one of my favorite things is when they con the guy into leaving his office. Yes. And it's, it's Ray like Walston is setup. painting the wall, and then he, the other guy, hides the photograph of the real office manager with his wife and replaces it with just another picture. I just love that little detail. And then before he skedaddles out the door, Ray Walston switches the pictures back. It has a point to where the comedy is there, and you get into it, and it's so... Looking back on it, as Nathan said, with like fresher eyes, if you watch this from a more modern perspective, probably, I mean, like from me, brand new to it, watching it... You can compare so much of what they're doing and it makes so much sense because this was like setting the bar. This was the predecessor yep. for like con movies to come for even like, bullshit, man, <laughs> for for even things that are like con themed episodes in TVs or in TV episodes like. So the whole switcheroo in the office, that that's like sitcom comedy and pacing and styling. That's that's what's funny about that. <laughs> when they hit the buzzer? Yes. Like, oh, my uh, God. You know, Margaret, uh, I'm going to leave early today. The, the the office manager and the secretary are out there just looking like, at the intercom the like, what the fuck? Right. What exactly. I mean, it's so it's so <laughs> clever. And you watch everything about it and you're just all like, OK. Okay, I can see where, like, Ocean's Eleven got this. Like, you know, both original and then remake. Like, I understand where this is. It's just, well, probably not the original, uh, but the, definitely the remake. But it's it's so clever and so funny. And it was just done right. I can understand why costuming won an Academy Award. I can understand why, you know, script writing won an Academy Award. It's... It's just great. And I mean, let's let's just praise the fact that a five and a half million dollar budget went to one hundred and fifty six million dollars, which was quite a lot of money, like twenty eight times the budget it, it, it came back with. So, I mean, kudos to it. This was a great movie. I really very much enjoyed it. The casting again on par. Paul Newman, 
Robert Redford. I, and now I, I'm trying to remember the Robert lady's Shaw. name. Eileen. No, 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 no. Eileen uh, Brennan. Yes, Eileen Brennan, who was Mrs. Peacock in Clue. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Harold good. Gould. Harold Gould, who played, oh crap, Rosen Island's boyfriend on uh, Golden Girls. You've got also got uh, Charles Durning, which yep. I think more more modern audiences would recognize as uh, Papio Daniels Flower Hour. <laughs> We're gonna sweep this town clear from uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Dana Elkar, who I remember as uh, MacGyver's boss from the MacGyver series. Uh, and then I, I've got to touch on Ray Walston. You know, he got his first major break in the South Pacific. The mm-hmm. musical. Most people recognize him as Mr. Hand from uh, was it uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? And then most recently, I've seen him as Boothby, the groundskeeper in Star Trek DS9. I think he yeah. even Next Generation and in Voyager, uh, he reprises the role. And he just Ray Walston brings this certain like gravitas, a little bit that he's just got a bearing about him, which I just I fits perfectly with this movie i love listening to robert earl jones because you hear so much of his son in his voice like it's not even like oh you sound like your father it's like you and your dad sound exactly alike and that's what's great about that because i mean the first time that i ever saw robert earl jones in something and i was all like is that is that James Earl Jones? And I'm like, no, that can't be James Earl Jones. It's no, 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 no. He's far, he's far uh, too tall. Like that can't be him. And, and he's a little skinnier. That's not. Then I found out it was his dad and it was in Sleepaway Camp, 1983. <laughs> that was the first time that I ever saw him. James Earl Jones is seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> and, shoots, and shoots lightning bolts out of his arse. <laughs> well, I'm glad that James Earl Jones is his still out there. His, uh, he's still voicing Darth Vader. Hence, episodes three and four of I haven't Obi-Wan. seen four yet. I'm going to watch well, it tonight. In, enjoy. You still hear James Earl Jones as, oh, as, as, as Vader. His it velvety was tones. Uh, so Robert Shaw as uh, Lonigan, the the villain in That's this movie. That's my money in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who, who, who brings like a perfect amount of malice you follow to the role of just and that. just amb- and, and i love the line where it's uh he kills for pride because and, and he, that is highlighted in the one scene in the golf course where it's like you see that man over there <laughs> if he finds out i can be taken in by a con man i'll have to kill a lot of them you know who it kind of reminds me of where they're trying to like oh outdo the individual so it's the guy who eventually plays dumbledore but in open range. And so I'm like, I won't be pushed off by a bunch of free grazers. Free grazers. <laughs> is, that, is that Jeffrey Rush? No, that's not Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> no, no, it's Who, not. What's his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, but, uh, but that guy, he reminds me of, of him, the accent. But uh, Robert Shaw didn't does not usually have a limp, did not. But he actually uh, slipped on a wet racquetball court the week prior to the start of filming and wore a knee brace underneath his his voluminous 1930s trousers and then affected you know obviously the limp and i feel like that gave his character just like a little bit more sure of like a backstory like did he catch a bullet or you know was this a gangland thing all around the cast is is just great uh the the score also won an oscar uh so did the the screenplay 
it was Best Picture 1973. Um, Best Robert director. Redford was nominated but did not win. And they said that Robert Shaw, after the fact, probably would have won the Best Supporting Actor nom- Best Supporting Actor award, but he demanded in his contract that his name follow uh, Robert Redford supporting. and Paul Newman. Okay. And therefore, he was not considered a supporting actor. Mm. Uh, so you know but either way um let's let's sort of get into a little bit of this you know what did you guys think as far as you know it's a pretty long movie it's it's an hour and or two hours and it, ten minutes it's long. Two, yeah um i do want to touch on the a little bit of the the screen cinematography sure where the director watched a lot of old gangster movies from the 1930s uh, in preparation for this. And one of these things, one of the things that he noticed was that in those movies, there were hardly any extras. Hmm. So he recreated that. So outside, you don't have these crowded sidewalks. Every time these guys are outside, there's just pretty much the main actors and the supporting actors. There's not crowds of extras milling about. So it gives it that sort of feel from those movies. Also, the, the hand-drawn yeah. uh, division pieces uh you know the sting the build-up the story those were drawn to emulate the saturday morning post pictures from that era every single time you had like this the the scene change to the next cha- the chapter change essentially i i loved the norman rockwell stylings of, mm-hmm. of everything like that. It, it just you know what because i grew up having like the saturday evening post art books yeah in my living room so I always they saw are them. beautiful, and it was just always so neat to see those things constantly. And you're right, like for setting up the set design and making it look like Prohibition era. Mm-hmm. All right, it was it was great. It was beautiful. And you're right for also not just cluttering it with extras. Like I mean, when it was nighttime and everyone had to be out or everyone had to be in, like when it's a dark deserted alley. Yeah, it's a dark deserted alley, quite literally. And then the places they're carrying out these griffs probably there's not a whole lot of foot traffic around. Not necessarily, but I mean, even at like a late hour, I would still think like, oh, maybe people are like, you know, heading home or heading to a graveyard shift or anything like that. But like it was it was just like empty streets. But even crossing the street, you know, it it still looked right. And it was again, you weren't distracted by a lot of things. I think the only thing that I can say that I'm iffy on for the script itself is that I didn't believe Redford to be the young con man. And I didn't believe uh, him calling Paul, him a kid right. throughout the movie. I was didn't believe a, Newman was a to be like much. the old grifter. Like, well, I mean, have the script reflect their actual ages. That wouldn't have been a problem. If anything, it set it up to the fact that like they're almost just as good as each other. And yet they're sort still, of like McLaughlin playing Paul. Right. Paul Atreides so I mean, like they're still the going to learn from dude. each other. Like, again, it was just one of those things where you're right. He kept calling him kid. And that kind of bugged me. Because they're not, <laughs> they're not that much of a difference in age to each other. Yeah. But I think Robert Redford looks, I guess maybe it lends into the fact that like you see later on films of him and you're like, oh, he old. But Especially this, was it Winter Soldier and uh, uh, some of the Marvel uh, films. <laughs> Even like, uh, like The Last Castle and stuff. I yeah. love Last Good Castle. Film. Although watching this movie, I kept sitting there going like, I want to watch Jeremiah Johnson. Ooh, I just want to sit and watch I just want to see that Johnson. smile and the nod. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the soundtrack to that, too, is just great. But that's, I, but I digress. He, <laughs> this whole cast, honestly, single person, you're like, oh, 
you're in like 70 other films, right? Yeah, I've seen you in t- or or every TV show yes. in the 70s they, or they've 80s. They've all been yep. in just tons and tons. I'm sure that this film carried the careers of half of these people into a lot of you know my special specialty is an Englishman. <laughs> Go grab yourself a tweed suit off the knowers. I brought my own. Uh, I I brought my own. <laughs> um, this again, this thing is just really well done. Each part is kind of because they break it up into these like sections, they really can hit the notes that they want to hit in that you know, in the tail and really build up on that and then go to the next part of, all right, now we're on to the sting. It's again, so many good actors and each person kind of carrying their part just enough to not overstep anyone else. I really don't think that anyone like booms out of this film is like the, the runaway actor that you're like, Oh yeah. Like, no, carried the whole thing just great ensemble cast and notes you said uh we should give a little bit of of appreciation to the score that was inspired by scott joplin the uh, great american composer of the early 19th century the uh person that the composer that took the reins from that he was able to pull together these similar sounding notes to get through the rest of the movie and some of them, I think, are quite beautiful, like the the refrain that they use when, like, he goes up to the, uh, was it the deli girls or the diner girls, who ends up being the assassin, when he goes up to her place, and it's, it's just that, that, and it, it draws you in as a viewer, just like, it's, it's sort of like a nice warm blanket to add to round out the overall feel of this movie i think drew i'm i'm so interested to see did you like that twist did you call it did you see it or oh i did not call i did not call i thought she like left and was coming back to him because he was just like fast pacing it towards her and then suddenly like the guy you see the guy behind he pulls the gun and i'm like he's gonna shoot him in the back and then suddenly boom you see like bullet hole in her head i was staring at my tv and i was just like oh <laughs> because I was not expecting it. I think this would have made Why? the third oh. film if that would have been like when because Robert Redford very like very characteristically gets shot in the back in most of his films. Um, <laughs> it's just a thing. Like in the Last Castle, he got shot in the back. In this, he gets shot in the back when he turns uh, away from from <sighs> Paul Newman. It's just one of those things that he always. Gets capped at the back. Was he shot in the back in, in Butch Cassidy in the Sundance Kid? I haven't seen that movie in probably 20 I, years. So I don't I think so. I mean, well, that. he wasn't even shot in the... Uh, I mean, Paul Newman wasn't shot in the back in this one. Robert Redford was shot in the back in this one. But you know what? It, it Okay, I didn't see the lady assassin technically coming, but the way she was walking up to him, it was so familiar to me. And I, I, was, I was all like, she's walking kind of slow and her hands are kind of cupped over the front of her a bit. Oh, this is the alley drop from like Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. That's exactly what this looks like. Yep. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, she's going to kill him. But it was still kind of shocking to have the bullet hole suddenly like just pop up in the middle of her head. And I liked the scene leading up to that where 
Robert Redford's like, you know, throw open the bathroom door, blah, blah, blah. She helps him yep. escape. And then he comes around the corner and there's the assassin there. And he's just like, shit. It takes <laughs> off around the other way. Uh, ends up going down the manhole in the alley. But that's where the other assassin turns around. And you see, you don't see who Selino is because they mention her like, why do you want to use our best person for this, this grifter? And the assassin's all like, oh selino oh i I didn't know like we all assume it's a man no like i think that's a great twist for that time like we're not talking about like uh, m night Shyamalan twists or anything but i think most people on their first watch didn't quite see that she was she was the the high paid Mando, assassin. I didn't think that you were on this bounty. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to to brush on. There are a lot of se- there are a lot of great scenes in this movie, but I'd like to brush on. I think my favorite overall part is the train yes. card game scene. Oh yeah, uh, I gave him threes. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, that has all the the good bits. It's got the you know the 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 con of stealing the wallet, using Lonigan's own money in the game, the gin. You know him drinking, taking a shot of gin, pouring it out, cutting it with water. Well, kid, if you uh, you know the, your mark can't tell if you if you've cut gin, you know, so you can you know, mix it with water. Out cheat a cheater, and then. Paul Newman, I think that's his best acting of this film, is playing this, and and I love when actors are playing drunk, sort of like um, the Philadelphia story. Yep. Uh, but Paul Newman portraying that he is drunk. <laughs> Hello, you know, uh, Sorry, I'm late. I had to take a crap. Names. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he sits down, <laughs> mispronouncing Lonigan's name the whole time, and then it... And, when, when he's insulted the one guy that he he leaves the game and there's the three of them left and Lonigan's like, well, let's take a ten and a recess. Tempers seem to be running high and and, and Paul Doom is just I'm just burst out laughing like <laughs> like completely ambivalent to the fact that he is you know the cause of all this, even though right. it is it is it is self made. But I love the whole turnabout of Paul Newman knowing that he cheats and cheating the cheater. Um, I love that. How'd your boss win? Of course. He He cheats. That's actually kind of one of my favorite parts, too, is because uh, like it reminds me a little bit of like Willow, where at the end where Willow's like, I'm going to use sorcery to put her into a magical safe land. And the the chemist's like, no, you're not. What are you talking about? And when the look on her face (laughs) when he does his little magic trick, she's like, wait, what? What did you just do? Like when you have what you're good at played against you as a villain, I don't know if there's anything better than that. Plus the uh, the scene prior to the card game where he's and it's yes. pro- it's not his hands, of course, but he he he's shuffling the cards and he's cutting the deck. He keeps on flipping over the ace to show that he's got control of the deck, and then he goes to you know throw the cards from one hand to the other, and he splits them out on the table. And it's it's sort of like the intro scene where you meet Gondorf, and he's like uh, Robert Redford's character Hooker's like, "Why did he send you here? I already know how to drink." Like, you know, are you are you up to this? And, and in that scene, uh, 
later on in in, in the car, uh, Paul Newman's like, just just worry about your end. So there he is a no little friends. bit of Gondorf needs no uh, friends anticipation. <laughs> like, can he can he pull it? Oh can he pull God. it off? But when he like he pulls his cards to his chest uh -oh. and he he's like looking over his shoulder at Lonigan's uh, uh, thugs and like the other guys that were played and he's sort of like I, I think that whole scene is just magical for this movie uh, the, the payoff at the end is wonderful but I think that is just a great great scene him calling like just his his last name being Gondorf as Nathan made his Who, crack uh, it made me those were just, real brothers I, right but I mean but it, the entire time I'm just, like my he's, they're saying like oh yeah I'm Gondorf and I'm like Gondor Gondor. <laughs> so uh, the the screenwriter did a lot of research, and there was a book that was released in 1940 called like the Con Men about yeah, the yeah, Gondorf yeah, yeah, yeah. brothers, right? And that's what he based the screenplay off of. The Paramount because was it's made up of a bunch of different cons. Paramount yeah. was sued uh, because they thought it was too close to an episode of Maverick. The TV show <laughs> with James yes. Garland, a certain episode. Garner, that, right? James Garner, yeah. A, a certain episode. Yes. And so they quietly <laughs> they quietly settled. <laughs> Justice for Nathan's, Maverick. Nathan's rubbing his nipples just like, vindication? They quietly... They, they quietly settled out of court for $300,000, which pissed off the, the screenwriter, but he ended up winning the Oscar in the end. So either way. Nathan, I have a I have a shirt for you that I can I can uh, order you specifically for this purpose of whenever Jack proves you right, I want you to put it on and stand proudly, and it says, "I stand oh. resolute, motherfucker." <laughs> Wait, did anybody get my clues? They were pretty good. No like one them. got your clues. <laughs> people were guessing. People were guessing. No one guessed it. One person guessed like matchstick men. And I'm like, we've already done it. Um, so, so yeah, no one got your clues. Good. No one's gotten clues for the last two. So uh, yours or mine. Mm. So um, Lonigan's side guy, uh, which P.S., if there was anything that you could go back and like be back in this time period, how cool would the side guys that, that like you just sit and you just watch and make sure everything goes down OK. And then when they get up and he looks tough. So. Hey, Lonegan, are those your two garbage men over there? Get them out of here. This, <laughs> this is, is a class joint. <laughs> um, no, but Charles uh, Deercop, uh, he plays Floyd. For some reason, I, you guys may not think this, but... The, I thought he was in Dick Tracy. I was surprised he wasn't. He has the face for not it. Not only did I think Dick Tracy, but I thought of The Rock. And I was like, oh, this is way too later on. But the one that's like, come on, General. <laughs> let's be all that we can be. Oh, <laughs> Does he not kind of like look like Where's his, like, the fucking no. money? <laughs> I take pleasure in gutting you, boys. <laughs> Half a million. Stand down, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> I put a half a million on him to win. To win? No, place. To place. And Harold, oh, God. Okay, can we talk about, like, real quick that Harold Gould looks yes. kind of like Burt Gummer's, like, father could definitely have played <laughs> Burt Gummer. I don't know. Just that smile. Harold, that Harold Gould smile. almost has, like, this... Vincent Price kind of debonair voice quality about him, which I absolutely love. And I know people 
hate the film, but it gives me a chuckle and some slight warm feelings in my tummy to see him in, again, not that it's a great example, but it's one I can think of, Dana Carvey in Master of Disguise, where he plays the dad. I, I love that movie. Thank you, what? Jack! Thank you! I love that movie. Jack loves Master of Disguise, and, and Jack is now 10 points Maverick? ahead. <laughs> I haven't podcasted Master of Disguise. Ten points to House Salt. <laughs> well played. Well played. <laughs> Master of Disguise, he was like, Ben, Ben, go in the water. Shock in the water. <laughs> like a doll's eyes. It's, Jack, thank you. I feel so happy right now. I just, I, I always thought that Dana Carvey should have been in more movies after Wayne's World. Oh, of course. And, and I, I, Love one of his only appearances after the fact is Master of Disguise. You make me so happy right now. Yeah. We just lost like 50 subscribers. <laughs> wow. Don't worry, I lost uh, the other. I, I feel like I lost that happens a lot. Maverick, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about I, I love the fact that they, you know, they rented out this basement. They turned it into this amazing, you know, off, off. <laughs> We need it done in two weeks. Off-track sports betting place. And the guy who supplies all the fixtures and everything is like, they're like, do you want a percentage or you want a flat rate? Uh, who's the mark? Lonigan. Take the flat rate. But <laughs> it is $500,000. But before we even get to that, Hooker loses from the first grift in the grand. opening of the L. No, it was, well, it's six grand total that they split. So six grand total back in that day was about $125,000. So Hooker went out and just blew $75,000 to try to impress his dancing chick. But at least he got his hair cut and his fancy new suit. But $500,000 at four to one odds would have netted Lonigan $42 million in today's money. Wow. And it, uh, that also makes me kind of sad because it's like I'm reading the inflation and it's like this point, this percent each year. And it's like, oh, God, that's, that's so much. Life money. is dismal. <laughs> no. It, <laughs> yeah. By 500K. This is not just this is not with the betting odds, but just 500. 1936. In 1970, 1973. Oh, no, no. Sorry. That's 1936 when the movie was set. Oh, I told you. 500K was a little over. It was like four. 10, 10. 10.4 million. Yeah, because four to one odds would right, have put one, it You're right. Million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. So that puts into perspective when people think like they've got all these people working for this con. Well, the, yeah, because you can split that up easily and, you know, doing just like a bit piece in the background and making a hundred thousand dollars. Why the hell not? It is a little weird, though, that yeah. you have so much honor among thieves like all these people are connected and and if they're not like fully connected they're at least like name ref like oh so show me some of your references oh you know uh stabby Mc uh, uh, detroit <laughs> suitcase uh, <laughs> suitcase jim uh, raincoat pit pocket like i don't know just all these weird little <laughs> jib jabby names are just like these are the the magnificent seven that you guys pull together and everyone's cool at the end to like never you know i don't know just the honor amongst them is very very good 
what tickles me is it reminds me of like uh, Elder Scrolls or Skyrim. Like it's the Thieves yeah. Guild. Like they've got their own bar. Like they go over to Dukes. They've got their hangout. The guy sitting at the bar is, you know, he's got the dice in his hand. And when he rolls those dice, that means that the dicks have showed up. Because that's that's when Duke stands up. You know, he rolls the dice as soon as Schneider walks in, and he's like, "Hold on a second. He peeps through. Ah, shit. He looks like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then Schneider plays a wonderful, wonderful. He's not even a villain. He's just an asshole. Yeah, and he's just he's just uh, he's a determined cop with a chip on his shoulder. Well, I would I wouldn't even say determined cop. Just a determined. He's a he's almost a grifter in his own rights. He's just grifting for the other. Looking team. for his cut. Well, I mean, ev- eventually, eventually, but not at first. Like, it- well, no, he beats up Hooker after the first grift to get his piece, get get the get money that he took off that Robert Redford's character took from the original con. Uh, of the numbers runner that was running right. it up to the yeah, train. we had trouble in Chicago. Uh, yeah. But as far as Schneider goes, I think that's just also a great, great part. And I love the turn of events with making him think that the FBI is involved, and then finding out at the end that <laughs> that's my that, money in there. There's also <laughs> dead bodies. It was in like there. it was like a double, a double, triple caught, and you know the, when uh, the guy who plays Polka, uh, the the MacGyver boss, you know when, when Robert Redford's been shot and Paul Newman's been shot, and he he looks at Schneider and motions towards Shaw, and he's like, "Get him out of here!" <laughs> and it's just that's one of, and again, Drew, you already mentioned that's one of my favorite lines of the movie is when they go up the steps and. And, and Robert Shaw's Lonigan clutches onto the railing and goes, that's my money in there. And Schneider's like, well, there's also two dead bodies in there and you can't get mixed up in that. And it's just <laughs> the perfect end to the con. Now, I thought it ended well there. Should there have been like another scene at the end where they they give, uh, you know, was, was it Logan or who is uh, James Earl Jones's father's name? Oh, in uh, Victor? Luther. Luther, not Victor. Should they have revisited Luther, or or are we just taking that on faith? But I thought it was a good end, especially with Robert Redford's, like, you know... I don't need money. Well, no, no, like, did you get your revenge, kid? He's like, no, but we got pretty close. And uh, it's just a nice, nice end to the movie. I feel like they stuck the landing. No, you're right, and it's not even like, you know, the good guys win question mark because i mean like they finished the con they completed the con but again like i mean it's almost like for him it is just the whole like ah it's close enough but you know what i'll get there one day because if i haven't gotten there now i can do this again and Mm -hmm. i can i can try and win at that time and you're right like it's just enough and as for him, he's like, hey, you know what? We got pretty dang close. And I well, was pretty excited for that. $40 billion in that day or in, in our day. And you, mean, you, you know for a fact that like as soon as that was over and they're like, all right, guys, clean this place up. You're like, this took two weeks put together. And it's like striking a set. Get all right. Done. It's like it's like if you're on a show and you strike that set, you you put that <laughs> set together <laughs> in weeks, <laughs> weeks, maybe a month or something. It's going to come down in two hours. And I find that as a theater person. One of the most depressing things, but also one of the most impressive things. Breaking ever. down a set. Breaking down a set. For something that takes you like weeks to a month to put up and you're like, all right, how long is it going to take us to take down? Uh, stripping the set, taking all that, putting it away and putting away costumes. Two hours. And you're like, so oh. <laughs> that's so depressing. That was so much work. 
Well, is there anything else that you guys want to say about The Sting, 1973's seven Oscar winner? Nominated for ten. I, I would say that this movie could use like a remake but <gasps> then i take it back because yeah but I, honestly of so many movies that it influenced from it I, and and you don't need a remake because you have so many things that took from it again i know that oceans i know that oceans 11 is a remake in its own right and it had its own sequels and you have other you've had other uh heist films B-rate heist films, blockbuster uh, heist and, films, and not and talking about artists. the original Ocean's Eleven with Sinatra, but the remakes. Like yes. by that point, these screenplays were formula. No, no, yeah, and, and and had a certain point. amount of action, right. had a certain amount of laughs. Where right. the Sting screenplay, it was just written as a movie. It wasn't written like, well, we've got to punch up more, uh, but more laughs, set up and we got to do this. Such good bones because when you follow it formulaically and you see that every single character and every single scene and setting up for the con for ABC, they are laying it brick by brick by brick, and that house is solid. Mm-hmm. And I just. Before we get into segments, I just love the ambiguity of you just see the hands in the gloves and you think it's this Salino assassin, but it's actually the, it sounds like a mafia guy oh, that dead. Gondorf got to watch Redford's back. And that just brings the whole thing together because the audience is thinking that Robert Redford is is betraying Gondorf, right. Right. Uh, where you know, he's been in on the con all, all, all the entire time, but just not knowing that he's being protected from afar. And yeah. I just, I love that little bit of just detail to the sure. screenplay. Sure. Sure. All right. Shall we get into uh, old, uh, old, old, segments? old segments? Before that, the only thing that could have made this film better is like right before they do the raid, if uh, Agent Polk said, let's do some good. <laughs> let's, just, do, <laughs> let's make some good. All right. Um, segments. Segments. Uh, so for our segments for the sting. Bow, bow. <laughs> Who is your Doyle Lonigan? The person you would not just embarrass, but con into the ground. Real life first, bonus mention for a uh, celebrity or public figure. Uh, I'll take this first for just because I think he would take it quite well, maybe half expect it, but still probably be duped quite easily. So... Uh, G our, our friend, well, my friend, uh, Gerald of two peas on a podcast. Ooh. All right. Good guy. His, uh, his stickers adorn my fridge. He is a gentle soul and, uh, just over overall one hell of a guy. Uh, we like to poke fun at Gerald in our group chat. And, uh, most things we say are his fault if something goes awry. And, uh, he's just, he's just, uh, fun to poke fun at. And I, I think that pulling a con on Gerald would work quite well. Uh, but also, again, like I said, I think he would take it uh, in, in in strides. I think he would uh, be a good sport about it. So I, I think uh, conning Gerald would be quite, quite easy to do. Now, uh, a celebrity, <laughs> which I think uh, could go easily well. But I, I think also maybe, maybe he they would suspect it. I think Keanu Reeves... You want to con him? Would you want to con Keanu Reeves? I didn't say it had to be something That's bad. That's a con. You just, like, a con <laughs> is a 
<laughs> it's a con. You dupe the person. You don't have to con someone out of something. You just dupe <laughs> them. <laughs> it's, it's, don't go leaping and jumping for the clitoris. Just give her a kiss, boy. Jesus. Is that what you're Shelton. saying? No, I just think I think that again. In turn, I think Keanu Reeves would be a good sport about something. A little off of the uh, the spirit of the. Uh... If it is okay, fine. If it is in the spirit of actually duping someone, getting something out of it, terribly embarrassing, and maybe getting some money, I think Ted Cruz should have his comeuppance. Oh, the the I I like it. Yeah. All right, uh, Nathan, there. you want to go or you want me to go? Sure. Um, my real-life person um, was a teacher in uh, high school. Uh, he, I just didn't really like him that much, uh, because mainly because he didn't like any male student. Uh, his name was Ben, Mr. Goffinet. And Goffinet. I could just tell that he, he just didn't like, like male students. He was very like harsh with the jokes and like was a coach for like the girl's song. Don't look at her. That's just, where my babies and, come from. <laughs> and just, yeah, just, I just felt like, you know what? If anyone needs a good comeuppance, like it's you. And just to like, kind of put you back in the saddle a little bit. Uh, you know, little, little whelps like you always have their comeuppance. They do always. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> mummy. Anyways, but my celebrity, which I think is the right choice, is Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> I would like to take everything from him. Oh, and just everything? Everything! <laughs> and just walk off into the sunset with that just knowing, maybe even with uh, Megan Fox, just too. Oh, like, just, Jesus like, Everything. Everything. So take that machine gun, Kelly. I like it. I like it. Uh, so mine is actually a person we all know. Uh, I will not mention the name, but uh, we all met or or were together in uh, ah, some way, yes. shape, or form with that person. Wait, did they try to kill me? Uh, probably. They put a fatwa on you. Uh, so this, so there's two people who have tried to kill me. I know who you're talking about. So this person, um, has very bad business sense Uh, and also uh, the finish line Yes, and and very unrealistic, uh, ambitions. So the con (laughs) would be that, uh, we hire somebody to impersonate a, a minor celebrity that wants the, 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 the mark to professionally DM a D&D <laughs> session that will also be podcasted and will be paid handsomely for that as long as the mark purchases all of the requisite podcasting gear, the microphones, the laptop, the mixer, and all that. Uh, now, this is where my tail goes awry because this person has already bought all the requisite podcast gear that somebody would need in order to do a podcast, has never done a podcast, but is someday going to do a podcast, maybe. But that's my podcasting gear in there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of like he conned himself. The celebrity is 
Tucker Carlson. Oh, you guys just hate conservatives. <laughs> well, I wouldn't no. say conservative. Hate, He's more assholes. of like the Al Qaeda. But uh, <laughs> so I, I'd like to pull some sort of like inflict some sort of overboard type temporary amnesia on him. Where he wakes up and he, he believes. You know, no, he wakes up and he believes. <laughs> <think> my children? <laughs> he wakes up and he believes he's the star this performer for a drag queen show. Ah! Uh, but the his his fellow performers are composed mainly of Latino and black drag queens. Bring uh, by by the time he by the time he remembers who he is, he will have learned that the drag queens are people like the rest of us and not deviant sexual predators that groom children. Racers, start your engines. And may the best drag queen win. And then realizes he is actually the real evil in this uh, equation. Well, I, we gonna do a <laughs> yas queen, sissy, sissy that <laughs> yas <walk>. queen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next one is the merry-go-round. Johnny Hooker finds Gondorf working as a mechanic at Billy's place. You're on the lamb, just a step ahead of the feds. What everyday job do you think you could take and blend in with? Um, I'll go first. I, I think that um, not that I'm really good at it uh, anymore, um, but woodworking was one of the most like relaxing and productive little hobbies you could possibly have. And it would be fun to like just build people things like, oh, I need a set of drawers for my you know cabinets. Hmm. Okay, yeah, give me the dimensions and I'll build it for you. Or a, a bookcase for your many volumes of uh, leather-bound books. Leather-bound books. Smells like rich mahogany. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it would just be it'd be fun to do woodworking or even working on computers, like just like fixing them. But at the same time, I feel like that would be a little bit too uh frustrating at times if I can't do it. The woodworking feels like just a little bit more out in the shop, relaxation me in the wood so hmm. you know i i can identify with that both of my grandfathers had their work rooms uh for my grandpa on my mom's side it was the in the basement for my grandfather on my dad's side it, he converted the garage and so it had these smells where it's like the fresh cut wood you had some of that that metallic iron from like the nails and the oil that they put on the nails and just kind of wish that I had that sort of space to go out and just be like, I'm going to the work room. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> so I thought about this to the point of what could I blend in with and actually have a job that I could still. I mean, if you're on the lam, it shouldn't necessarily have to be a job that you are enjoying. But also my brain immediately went to like, oh, I'll try to find a game or I'll, find, I'll try to find a job at like a game shop. Something that I could still, you know, blend in and enjoy. But then my brain also started to think, well, I could go work at the library. It's quiet. It's secluded. But then I kind of realized if they put my name and everything into the computer, it's government tracked. So I don't want to be found. And also, you don't want to go somewhere where they're going to look for you for your interests, especially if you're trying to hide. So I think avoiding a game shop, avoiding the library, uh, I would just find like an independent bookstore. And I would just be either like the back clerk who's like organizing and taking in books, not out in the front. Uh, maybe someone who's like repairing books that are being brought in, ready to be sold in the back, still around things that I enjoy, but but hidden from the world. 
<laughs> it's all good until um, you're stamping books and someone breaks into your library uh, to go to an underground sarcophagus or catacombs. And uh, as you are stamping a book, kachung. No? Indiana Jones, really? Indiana Jones, I got yeah. you. Okay. Bong. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> this joke didn't land at all? Okay, fine. No. <laughs> Uh, well, for me, and and not to denigrate uh, Drew's profession in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> but I think I would be able to blend in John Kimball style, kindergarten cop style, but not for kindergartners, obviously, not a tool, but... uh, as a history teacher. I'm just finishing up uh, a three-book anthology about the history of the war in the Pacific, and I just love all these little flavors and these details, and like when midway came out the movie that was like 2019 2020 yeah anna watched it with me not because she was interested just because she wanted to see your reaction my reaction i was like well that's not how that really went down and, and, and this that the other thing but i i think for you know posed a certain part of history whether it's world war ii or whatever i'd be able to read up and i think teach a pretty good class on it i i i I would enjoy that i think i could blend in as that rather than just like change your ties flip your baggers but something like that yeah all right all right uh our third and final uh segment are you lieutenant william schneider fbi Today we have our Chads and our Karens. Schneider embodied a corruption of law. What petty Schneiders do you curse at in everyday life? Perhaps the clerk at your nearby convenience store that won't stop chatting up every customer and holding up the line. Or the lottery jackass that spends 10 minutes getting his numbers and scratchers when you just need to throw down some cash to fill up your tank. Who are your Schneiders? I'll go with the fact that this is very recent this week and has happened every day. And I also addressed one of them today from my car as I yelled in their direction, leaving work. (laughs) So it's parents who decide to pull into the staff parking lot to drop off their kids when it's not their fucking place to do it. I just want to see a, a like a video, video like surveillance camera footage of Drew's arm out the window going, fuck off, asshole. <laughs> I mean, okay. So like there's clear signs that say like, do not, do not drop your kids off here. There is no, no dropping off. This is a staff parking lot, no parent entrance, or they pull into the visitor's parking lot, not to park, but to just zip on in and have their kids get out of the car. A lady today who I literally hollered at, mainly I hollered at the daughter uh, to tell her mother because the mother came in into the staff parking lot, didn't go through the staff portion, but then decided to go backwards through a bus lane. Wow. <laughs> to then, to then whip into the, the visitor's parking lot, the opposite ex- the opposite entrance, like she went through the exit of the visitor's parking lot and it just boggles my freaking mind. Parents that actually like whip into the staff parking lot and they park in there and they sit there and they wait for their kids to get out of summer school or they sit in there and they wait for the kids to get out of regular school, like not even not even in a parking spot. Sometimes they're just parked there like. In like an in-between spot. I pay spot. my taxes. Jesus I pay your wages, you so bitch. I park where I want. I pay, I, I pay my own salary. <laughs> so <laughs> those are the people that like, 
as as Peter Griffin says, grinds, you know what really grinds really my grinds gears? My gears. God, uh, that sorry, that shit just boggles my mind. I want to make little cards that have the address, the number, and like the email to the Bakersfield Adult School specifically for the literacy courses because clearly they can't fucking read. And I just want to like walk up. They roll down their window and I'm just going to hand them the card and I'm going to walk away. Mm. Just walk away. <laughs> Nathan. Um, I work with a lot of clients that will say conversation. One more question. I say, yeah, what do you got? <laughs> and that is not one more question because before it's we ten. end the conversation again, it's uh, one more question. Okay, well, no, that's two questions now that you've asked. And I want to just say, <laughs> nope, you've already asked your question. You're done. Click. But <laughs> I got to go. That's not my job. So I go, sure. Well, what do you got? And on and on and on. Those people or uh, my political party can do no wrong, has done no wrong, and will never do wrong. And is what everyone should believe, people. If you are just someone that is so rooted in your opinion and can never go, you know what, let's have a conversation and like, I want to hear what you have to say. But then also never say anything wrong about your political party as a whole. It's fine if you if you mm. have your president mm. or your politician that you love and you're like, dude, he's awesome. I think he's great. Or she's great. That's that I, I can respect that. But when They've never done any wrong or you can never say, you know what, that wasn't a great policy that they they pushed. I have some some friends that Trump will never say or do anything wrong. I have friends that Biden will never say or do anything wrong. And I'm, I'm like, both of you guys just need to just admit it and just say, you know what, they're human. They're not perfect. And it's okay that the person that they like isn't the best thing but and and i i i empathize with that you know i i don't have a biden flag hanging from my house or plastered on my car but i did watch the january 6th commission tonight which i think is something that most people should least pay attention to mm -hmm. fox news didn't even cover it and that kind of pisses me off because you know that is a bipartisan committee why are you not covering that so, yeah, food for thought. Someone you know. should be in jail. So, well, yeah. Either way, um, so mine I would like to call, I call them space fuckers. Oh. And these are the folks that are in the turning lane or maybe oh. the drive through lane. And they leave two car lengths or more ahead of them of just empty space. So then the people that could fit into the turning lane are now ass out into the far left-hand lane. They can't get in, so now they're backing up traffic for that whole lane. Or the same thing with the drive-through like you're backing up the drive-through so it's it's become like a no-man's lane of mm -hmm. like cars are turning in, cars are are facing forward, cars are trying to turn right, but you're sitting there with two car lengths ahead of you waiting for the guy to order in front of you. And I hate that. And part of me has always had this sort of almost masturbatory fantasy about keeping in my car a, a hard hat and then one of those uh, one of those caution 
like vests where it's like neon yellow or neon green or neon orange with the highly reflective portions on it and i get out and then just matter of factly with one of those like stick measurers that uh, people use to measure like property lines <laughs> and measure the length between their bumper and the bumper of the next car and then just nonchalantly write it on with like a grease pen or an erase board or something and hold up and, and just holding up for the driver to see 21 feet and then just just giving them the silent hand Do, to like doing the know, like, like come, close the gap, just, close the glass. Yeah, just like like come forward and like not not angry, not angry, just very matter of fact, but with a lot of eye contact. Just like <laughs> come on, come on, come on forward. No, no, you could yeah, no, there's plenty of plenty of yeah. You, all right, you're good, you're good. Uh <laughs> and like even if I'm not affected by this, if I'm in the far left lane and the left hand turning lane is next to me, and the first person in line is like a car length and a half behind the white line. Like I want to get out of my car with my outfit, measure the distance, and then just in front of that whole group of cars, just be like, okay, cook, yep. No, the white line's here. No, you got 15 feet. We're good. Yeah, yeah, come on. Go. All right, good, 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 good. And then get back in my car and drive away. Like just nonchalantly be an asshole to them. Fair enough. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a very polite fuck you. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I'll smile and wave. <laughs> I'll give them a thumbs up when they get to that white line. Good job. Love it. You you've done you it. You did it. Way to way to uphold the social contract. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh so um what would we rate this a film? If this movie was a poker hand and it was uh out of out of five card draw I would be uh, Lonigan, and I would say four nines, and nine out of ten. Uh, I think this movie is really, really solid. Um, I love the ca- the cast. I love the the plot, the way that this uh, film moves. It's so well done. The the writing, everything, the music. So nine out of ten. Well, he he took my rating. <laughs> Four nines. Take him and take him back to the baggage car. Put one in his temple. We're gonna be in the station in a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Nathan, Nathan is correct. I would also give this. I mean, instead of like the four nines, but it would be. I would give this four of a kind. All right, out of five, out of five cards in my hand, this gets a solid four out of five for me. Um, I think it was incredibly well done. It was a treat, Jack. Uh, Thank you for. Uh, picking this movie, it was a uh, it was a delight. Thank you for bearing the slings and arrows of my uh, of my, my usual asshole intro. <laughs> Everyone knows candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> I think eventually I'm going to need like a little candy corn tattoo, just sitting and watching a movie. <laughs> if you get a candy corn tattoo, I will get the uh, my my Starfleet. Yeah, emblem, uh, you, you would get to get that anyways. <laughs> well, well, but I haven't yet. Just give me a reason to. <laughs> Yeah. Nathan, Nathan will get his shower water uh, logo that I made yeah, for him tattooed it. on. <laughs> uh, so I would I would give this uh, it'd be the royal flush for me. Mm. Um, or though is it is that the highest? That is yeah, yeah royal flush. I give highest, the yeah. I give the royal flush as far as con man movies. There there's a lot out there. There's a lot we've already done. You know, Matchstick Men is still a very good con man movie. Catch me if you can. Also, good con man movie, but I feel this is a good sort of. It's where the roots took place. 
for that sort of genre and how to pull off a con man story that is, you know, very expansive as far as its range of acting plot uh cinematography and it's it's uh it's it's composition as far as its musical score it's adventurous yeah it is is what i would say um and it also does that without being you know it's something you could watch with you know your eight to twelve year old it doesn't have a fuck every other line hundred percent uh but those others movie other movies do but there are others out there where you sort of you know, I feel like movies in the 80s and the 90s and beyond sort of relied more on profanity and ultraviolence. But this movie is able to pull off an enjoyable film hmm. without resorting to that. Not that profanity and ultraviolence, I think, is, is you know, a terrible thing. It has its place, but this does it without it. Agreed. Yeah. Well, uh, Drew, where can uh, people find us? Uh, on the, the interwebs, the, the, the tweeters? Well, everyone, you can always find the Real Phil's podcast up on social media. Look for us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for the Real Feels Podcast. We are up on Twitter at Real Feels Pod. You can send us an email at realfeelspodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on our Tooch line. Tooch me, baby. Tooch me, baby. 661-376-0030. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, say hello, a movie suggestion, maybe a dirty joke or two, we'd love to hear from you. Honestly. Call us up. We'll dance the fox, Tooch. Oh. And uh, Jack, would you say that there's a Patreon special for this? You know... No. No. The movie the Wait, movie's hold on, let me check. Compute no. says no. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, no, if if I if I pick the movie, I come up with the uh segments and I write the intro, then <laughs> that is enough, I think, for our listeners. If you disagree, call the teach yeah. line. Debate it. Fight it. And uh and 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 <laughs> let us know. Otherwise, what is on the docket for uh, coming up for our next couple movies? What sort of genres well are we doing? Nathan is gonna be gracing us with his next one. Teen Terror. Teen <laughs> Terror. <laughs> oh, and then after uh after the Teen Terror, I'm gonna be bringing God us. damn it, Madison. I told you I didn't <laughs> want to come to this party. <laughs> Uh, after Teen Terror, we're going to have some samurai. Ooh, hi, hi, wakaribasa. I'm looking forward to, uh, to both of these. Also, we still have one oh, Patreon movie left to do. We do uh, still we have, have one not Patreon forgotten movie. about you, noble, noble patron. Uh, but uh, you gave us two movie choices, and we are trying to see if we can figure out how to do your primary rather than your secondary mm-hmm. uh because we it's hard to find we value but I did, your, your i did get a blu-ray input. of it so yes yes all right and and nathan we may have to do that one with uh old uh old cody, old cody. Uh, that's fine because it'd be a movie that we could really only watch at drew's um, okay because it's it's not streaming anywhere i don't and believe the, it was i think the anywhere. dvds are yeah, that's why i had to get a blu-ray harder though. harder to come uh, the blu-rays yeah. are harder to come for. yeah I, I, I think i'm showing my age where i refer to blu-rays as dvds it's just like a catch-all like <laughs> damn me a kleenex it's not the 4k anymore. did you get a new dvd drill it's a blu-ray <laughs> it's not a phase <laughs> jesus don't interrupt me while i'm cleaning my room <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, two weeks from now, Nathan's Teen Terror will be up. 
<laughs> Why are you meowing? I don't. Because I, <laughs> I did what I did when I said Teen Terror. Like I went like 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 I was like ah. You did your and Jack laughed. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I guess it is kind of like a little. <laughs> when you when you do your little hands little up claws. like that in claws, it makes me <laughs> think of the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where it's like erg. Arg. See, I was getting Michael J. Fox like Teen Wolf vibes okay, yeah. for that. Like, son, come on out of the Jason bathroom. There's something we need to talk about. Teen. Oh gosh, Teen Wolf too. Uh, well, um, folks, thank you for joining us. For what? What episode is this? This is episode Ooh. 114. 114. Ooh, we are getting into our dotage. Ooh. Ooh. Um. So, thank you for joining us, and uh, you know. Welcome, or thank you from the, the, this has been the realist. And the feelist. I'm not used to this. Usually I have the last word. That's my money. (laughs) (laughs) Where am I going to go? Depends on which bus I'm going to get on. Sit down and shut up. (laughs) Don't, don't encourage everyone. (laughs) Whatever.